Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. My name is David Lally. I'm the producer of the show, and I know we may be in challenging times, but that's just why we've been working on shows to keep us upbeat and focused on the good stuff. Let's listen in. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I have a great guest on our program today, a real mover and shaker, and his name is Ken Trapetta. And Ken is the president and executive director of Respro. When I was selling real estate, I didn't even know or hadn't even heard of Respro, but uh, I sure do know it today, and our goal today is bringing Ken in here so that you'll have a much better understanding of exactly who and what Respro is. So Ken's been with the National Association of Realtors. He was there as the liaison to large firms, as a director from 2007 to 2015. And prior to that, was a vice president with J.P. Morgan Chase. And prior to that, God bless him, he was a lawyer for a congressman. So, you know, he's been there, done that. Grew up in New York, living in Maryland. And it's our great honor to have you on the show today. Ken, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm really glad to be here. Let's dive in at the beginning here. The invisible hand is what I call Respro. You guys are everywhere. You do everything. But most agents actually don't really know that much about Respro. So give us the Reader's Digest version a little bit today of exactly who and what Respo is and does. Basically, we're the source for one-stop shopping in real estate to give consumers that option. And the best way to describe Respro is to start naming some of our members. I mean, basically... Our members are all the big players in the settlement services industry, Realogy, Remax, Fidelity, Douglas Elliman Real Estate. We have Howard Hanna Real Estate. We have about 150 companies that basically represent more than a half a million real estate agents with their brands, hundreds of thousands of people in the title and mortgage industry, and other folks doing settlement service transactions. We did a survey a couple of years ago of our members and you know ask them how many transactions they did each year and the number in the US the number came back over 7 million well there was only 5 million real estate transactions <laughs> that year so i always say our members seem to have a hand in everyone's transaction whether it's title right. mortgage or multiple touches so that's really who respro is and we've been around for 27 years you know still going strong trying to improve trying to be the you know, the guide for doing one-stop shopping right in the real estate industry. Explain the one-stop shopping experience if I'm a consumer real estate or if I'm a real estate agent. How does the one-stop shopping work? From a real estate agent's perspective, I've always described it this way. It's the idea that you want to at least be able, because consumers want this option to get all of their services or most of their services through one entity that is affiliated, usually with their real estate agent, but not always. A lot mm -hmm. of times it's the mortgage person. So that you don't have to go around and shop around for things. You don't have to spend eight hours learning about title insurance. You know, basically all the elements of the transaction, and we've done consumer surveys for 20 years. Consumers want this choice. They don't always use it, but they want this option because they feel it saves them time. It saves them hassle. Sometimes it saves them money, but that's not even necessarily their priority. It just makes the most complicated transaction easier for folks. And so that's what our members try to offer, and they try to offer to their real estate agents and, of course, their customers. And what's your role in regards to RESPA? What are you trying to do as you advocate? How does it work for you? 
So we do a couple of things. First of all, we are really strong on compliance. Basically, these affiliated business arrangements or the ability to offer one-stop shopping comes out of the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act. So we advocate to keep those options open, but we also have annual seminars and compliance seminars in order to make sure folks follow the rules. Because the big thing about RESPA is there's two things. One, it governs the transaction, at least at the federal level. And the other part of it is is that it makes illegal kickbacks and payments for referrals and things like that. We're heavy on the compliance end. We're heavy on doing these affiliated businesses right and also making sure that consumers are protected. So that's Respro's main role. And we do this at the state level as well. For sure. It's the old, you need us on that wall, you want us on that wall type deal, right? And then we know that the RESPA laws and a lot of things change from time to time. Insurance commissioners come in and out and things tighten up all the time and the rules of the game change all the time. Isn't that true? Right, exactly. So one of the things that's fantastic right now is that people, again, it's not on the nightly news, you won't see it on CNN, but people are doing real estate deals. People are getting deals done and you guys have your finger on the pulse What are some of the feedback you're hearing from some of your members and clients that are sharing how they're getting deals done and actually closing transactions in the middle of this pandemic? It really is amazing. And I'm going to share something here that is not in my bio. So my mother is a mortgage banker. My stepfather was a builder contractor. Both of them were realtors. And my sister is a realtor currently. And my mother is doing deals. She's 71 years old. She's still doing deals from her living room in Long Island, New York, one of the hardest hit areas. My sister just got a listing the other day, and she's setting up virtual tours and things like that. You know, there are impediments to getting deals done, but even in the hardest hit areas, people are coming through. One of my members told me weeks ago, and apparently this is extremely common now, in order to sign documents, yes, they're using things online, remote online notarization, stuff like that, but literally... The notary came to the house, put the documents on the doorstep. The person took the documents into their living room. The notary watched them sign them through the glass in the living room, and that's how the transaction was completed. Yeah. I mean, people are being very creative and keeping things going. I just closed a commercial transaction on one of my buildings. We have in-house counsel at Buffini Company, and we have a guy named Peg Sellover, who's our notary. And Peg had to notarize the settlement documents for me. And we met in the parking lot of our headquarters. It looked like a drug deal. You know, she drove up and parked on one side of the parking lot. I parked on the other. She came out. She put the papers on top of the hood of the car. I got out of the car, signed the papers. You know, the bottom line is people are resourceful. People are entrepreneurial. And people are getting the deal done. And there's some inefficient ways we're using that are going to be replaced more and more by more efficient ways. But I think one of the things that's encouraging is, you know, the American spirit, it can't be held down. And it's always reflected in real estate. And, you know, we're having a lot of clients doing business, getting deals done. And there's things you have to do, right? There's a way to clean the house now for showing. There's people who are writing offers subject to a physical inspection of the property once they have the property under contract. You know, I love the fact, like it just fires me up. I got to get your mom's name. I'm going to write her a note. I look 71 year old little gal in Long Island, you know, in a hot spot for the virus. And she's still out there getting it done as a realtor. You know, that gets me going. I got to be honest. It makes me want to do pushups in the corner. <laughs> right. It really is amazing. And like I said, they're overcoming hurdles, but they're getting things done. 
And, you know, part of it is, too, real estate transactions can be done more quickly than ever, but they still take some time. So there's a lot of foundation you can lay, even in an area that is, you know, essentially shut down in terms of getting people interested in properties, you know, even if you can't show them in person. I mean, you can close deals without doing things in person, but if somebody still wants to see a place, well, you can do, you know, 90% of the deal and then have them take their look and close it after that. But there's a lot that people can do. There's a lot of things that people are doing. So it is encouraging. You know, I told my members, we had a, a call with all my members. We have a weekly call to check in. And the pending home sales came out last week and they were the worst since 2011. And I said, that's good news. They're not the worst ever because <laughs> 2011 wasn't a great year. But yeah. it wasn't the worst year. So right. if we're on a track for something like that, then I think we're in a good position. Yeah, we just interviewed Dr. Yoon here this week, and he was projecting only a 10 to 15% drop-off on the whole year. You know, we see some draconian things. Zillow came out yesterday and said there's going to be a 60% drop-off in sales. There's another young, hot economist out there making the ways, and he's saying 50%. You know, and I challenged him on his data. He was getting his data from northern Italy and San Francisco City. It's like doing a projection on the whole country on Manhattan. What I've been telling people is we're all in the same storm, but not everybody's in the same boat. I'm here in San Diego. We have 3.3 million people in the county, and we've had 150 deaths. Orange County, California, has 3.2 million people. They've had 60 deaths. So things are different in different parts of the country. Things are changing and so on and so forth. A question I have for you is on technology. What kind of technologies are you hearing that people are using to make things go a little smoother and quicker? Look, I'm kind of old-fashioned myself. So I always mm-hmm. felt like things like virtual tours were kind of cute from my perspective, but you really wanted to see things in person and, and things like that. But I think the virtual tour is definitely taking off. I mean, I told you before, my sister's setting up one on her new listing. That's really taking off. The remote notarizations. It's kind of funny because mm-hmm. it's always been, in some jurisdictions, relatively easy to do a deal. I worked at the mortgage bank in New York in the 90s with my mom, and one of the jobs I had was dealing with the closing. And the New York closing routinely would have three or four lawyers in the room, all the parties, someone from the bank. I mean, I always said it was almost like a wedding in that you had all these people there when I, <laughs> you know, to witness this going on. When I bought my house in Maryland, it was my realtor, the seller's realtor, and the closing agent, and the seller's realtor had their power of attorney. So that was in 2007. Mm-hmm. So it's always been, in, in many jurisdictions, possible to minimize you know, how many people are, are at the closing table to do these things. So I think we're seeing that accelerate to a degree. People are really assessing you know, who really needs to be here for this. What really right. needs to be done that way? In California, we're an escrow state, and more than half the market is, and there is no closing meeting. There's no attorney. Everything just happens. It's kind of like in California, it's actually anticlimactic. The realtor gets to call and say, hey, congratulations, you're recorded. But there's no sense of pomp and circumstance. So this has been coming for a while. We have seen some deals ourselves where we're looking at, obviously, people are using e-signatures a lot. About 83% of realtors are using e-signatures. The virtual tours is right now about 58%. And again, a virtual tour is great. I tell my kids, you know, you don't want to find your partner for life and make a decision online. The same for a house, you know. It's okay to check things out, but at the end of the day, when it gets down to serious business, people are going to want to see a house. You know, it's different. It's not like a restaurant. It's not a high-traffic area. There's things that we're able to do. There's hospital-grade cleanings. 
that people are doing now as realtors. They're finding connections. They leave a little table outside. Here's a cover for your shoes. Here's some gloves. And here's a mask. And then they leave everything open, right? And everything's wide open. All the doors are open. All the cabinets are open. We actually put together a little resource on how to stage a house in the current environment. So there's just lots of ways of getting it done. And again, we know that different states are opening up in different ways right now. And like I said, I think real estate was last into this. I think we're going to be first out of this and we'll see that happening. One of the things you're looking at, you've been looking at the real estate business for a long time, like myself. I was interviewed yesterday. I said, like, this is the fourth major one I've seen in 35 years. You know, I've been through a few of these before, different times and different places. From your perspective, you've been at this a long time. We have a bunch of real estate agents listening today. We also have thousands of consumers who tune into this program. What advice would you be giving people as far as the bigger picture, long-term view of housing and the value of housing? So there's a couple of messages I really want to get out there. You know, housing, people need places to live, of course, and I'll get into that in a second. But I think people, if I were talking to realtors, what I say to my members when they talk to their clients and customers is, and this is going to sound out of left field, but be real careful with stuff like forbearances. You know, mm-hmm. we've heard about, you know, the government's telling us that you don't have to pay your mortgage. And, you know, and it's true if you have Fannie, Freddie, FHA mortgages and it won't ding your credit, but it may make it more difficult to get another mortgage later. And so what I'm telling people is if you have a client or customer that is in a situation where they can't pay their mortgage, truly need to use forbearance, then do it. But don't do it to game the system or to try to Mm -hmm. save money for something else because it may have repercussions later. And so I'm just saying to folks, be real careful about forbearances and only use it when absolutely necessary. So that's sort of my big advice point. And I'm seeing, I've actually gotten feedback from members where somebody used a forbearance basically to just save up some money and they're in the process of buying a second home and it affected that deal. And it's not clear whether Mm -hmm. the second home deal is going to go through now. And they didn't need to do it, but they were doing it you know, to save money or they were going to buy something for the new home or whatever. And so just be real careful with that, folks. Use it if you need it, but don't use it if you don't need it. Right. I mean, Ronald Reagan, the famous 10 words, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. You know, I think they've done the best they can and you're on Capitol Hill a lot and they've tried to do the best they can. They shut the economy down, so they tried to help with the CARES Act and did a lot of things. But as we know, you know, you're shooting with a shotgun and not a rifle and you know, we've seen abuses of the city, the Lakers and Harvard going for CARES Act and the local restaurant maybe been able to get the money. And so sometimes people think, oh, man, this is, you know, the first time really for American consciousness. Growing up in Ireland, you know, I talk to home all the time. I was talking to Ireland this morning. My family's still back there. And their expectation is the government's going to help them. Their expectation is the government's going to take care of them. The expectation is the government's going to do whatever here, here, here and here. And the expectation is the taxes will be 78%. You know, the dynamic here is Americans are almost waking up to the fact that, hey, there's stuff the government offers, but there's nothing free. There's nothing free. These trillions of dollars, it's not free. You know, the dollar's strong right now, but eventually, eventually you pump $6 trillion into the system. That money's coming from somewhere and things have to be affected. And eventually we may have to deal with some inflation or other issues or the devaluations and things like that. So I just think... Like you're saying, forbearance is there. It is an option. We had Dr. Ben Carson on here, Secretary Hood, on our podcast. And again, it's great that they're doing it, but there's consequences. Like there's consequences for people right now. You know, some of the politicians arranged a don't pay your rent coalition. Well, there's consequences to that because 
when you don't pay your rent, the owner of the building doesn't have an unlimited supply and they have to pay a mortgage. Something's got to happen somewhere. And so eventually there's things through this period of time. I think people who are genuine need get the help, like you said. But if you're trying to job the system, just so you know, the system is going to job you. <laughs> it's going to come back to bite you. Well, right. And that's my concern, too, is that, you know, people, like I said, there's potential consequences for this. You know, I think, you know, I know you talked to Lawrence, Lawrence Yoon from NAR, and I go way back. I have tremendous respect for Lawrence. I think, you know, he probably talked about a V-shaped recovery and things like that. And, and I think that's true. I think if we weather this storm, I think demand will just get shifted. We didn't have a spring buying season like we normally had. We were set for an awesome one. I think. Right. And it's been put off. Yeah. I think if the economy comes roaring back, people will feel that confidence and we'll just move on from there. So we got to weather this storm. As you said, it's different in different parts of the country. Some places are not right. that impacted, but you know, a lot of places are. So we weather this storm, sure. we come back strong. The reason for my advice is, you know, don't do anything that when it's time to take advantage of the growing economy and then you find out that you can't get a mortgage because you did this forbearance thing and you've got to pay it all back and then wait 12 months or whatever it is, you don't want to put yourself in that situation unless it's absolutely necessary to survive now. Because I do think we're going to come back. You said you had a couple of other things that you're trying to get the message out. What would be an additional one in addition to the forbearance one? You know, credit is tightening a little bit now. I just want to make sure that that doesn't stay that way. Another concern I have, and I don't know what we can do about this other than, you know, work together, work with our associations and stuff, is this idea, you know, we have a lot of people that are unemployed because, you know, the government essentially threw them out of their jobs. This is not an organic thing. And so in the future, those folks are going to, they'll get their jobs back, a lot of them, most of them hopefully, and they'll be wanting to buy a house, and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have some rules that say, well, you were unemployed for two months, and maybe you don't get a mortgage then. And, and I think we need to be real mindful of that and, and work together to, to make sure that you know, that's properly taken account of so that people aren't hurt for essentially taking one for the team. I mean, most of these mm-hmm. people didn't want to lose their jobs. They were forced out by government action. That government action shouldn't penalize them later. So that's a concern I have. But I don't know what we do about it now. We just have to be mindful of it going forward. Yeah, you bet. Well, I had Michael DeVito on, who's the head of uh, Wells Fargo Home Mortgage. He had some great things to share, but I was really challenging him. I said, you know, it'd be nice if you guys could look at this more holistically going forward, right? Which is rather than just linear logical, what's on your CV, right? What's on your resume? You know, you had two months of payments. I'm hoping at some point in time, we look back on this and go, you know, this was a goofy deal that came down. We had to do what we had to do and everybody strapped it on. And hopefully the underwriters and so on and so forth can look at it differently. We already saw JP Morgan, right? They shift to 700 credit score minimum and 20% down. So we know, obviously there has to be balance sheet protection and things like that. But I think what's going to happen is, again, you'll see the smaller players jump in and take care of business. Like with the CARES Act, a lot of the big banks were somewhat hamstrung, and we saw 6,000 community banks and credit unions get in the game. PayPal was doing CARES Act loans for small businesses. So I think, you know, like with every challenge, there's opportunities here. There's ways to innovate here, and people are going to figure it out. People are going to figure it out, and they're going to find a way. We ended up doing business with a small local bank out of Orange County instead of our big major Fortune 100 company. So I think that's going to be a case. I've had those experiences as well, believe it or not. Some nonprofits that I'm involved with, 
wound up, you know, they didn't get it from Wells Fargo. They got it from some local little bank that I had never heard of before. So it was a great thing, though. Worked out. Well, that's what happened for us. I actually had a, a young man. His name is Kevin Fisk. He's 28 years of age. So he's a few years out of college. He's a devotee of the podcast, so he listens to me all the time. And I had mentioned who I banked with. And he thought, this guy's going to have trouble. He's got 250 employees. This guy's going to have trouble. So he reached out. He got a referral into our organization, hustled it up, called our CFO, built a relationship, said, hey, I'm going to give you the white glove treatment. I'll call you three times a day. I'll do this. I'll do that. And this young man hustled through this process, was extraordinary in how he executed it. And we were in pretty good shape already, but he made that what was a little rough patch even smoother. So, you know, that young fellow, I've been advocating for him and I've been endorsing him. And that's what people need to know. Like that young man, I've endorsed him. I did a Facebook Live last Friday to 180,000 people where I told his story. And now I'm on with you and hundreds of thousands of people will hear his name again. Kevin Fisk, Sun West Bank in Anaheim. And here's the deal. You can't pay for that. And that's what the big encouragement I'd have and I'd have for all your members is people won't forget what you did for them right now. They won't forget if you reached out. They won't forget if you were there for them. They won't forget if you were value. And they won't forget if you weren't there. They won't forget if you just put up the big steel corporate wall. They won't forget that either. So it's time to still be like you talk about you're an old-fashioned guy. Old-fashioned customer service and caring for people is still at a premium. And I think when the bounce back comes, which it will, those are the people who are going to win the biggest, in my opinion. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that, frankly, what you just said there is essentially the golden rule for this industry. It's always been about doing a good job for people. And, you know, in these trying times, people will remember it even more. But I think that is still the golden rule for this industry. People will remember you 10 years down the line when they go to sell their home or do something else or when their children are looking for a mortgage or when their children are looking for a home. They'll remember what you did for them then. So I think that that is absolutely true. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. So let me ask you this. You're still involved. Obviously, Congress seems to have taken a siesta here for uh, a period of time, but they're going to come back to work at some point in time. What do you think Congress can do to help buyers and sellers resolve some of the issues brought on by this pandemic? Well, I think one thing they could do is pass that national remote online notary law. I know NAR is making a big push on that. People need sort of certainty that this is an acceptable way of doing business, and that's the clearest way to send that signal. I see headwinds in various places where that's not being accepted or they're questioning the state orders, and it's you know making transactions a little more difficult. They could make things easier that way. They could be mindful of the credit tightening. They could also, one thing that's of concern is these services are kind of particularly the non-bank servicers, are kind of taking it on the chin because when people are not paying their mortgages, they still have to pay the investors and they could create a facility there to tide over the non-bank servicers. That would help, I think. It would help keep competition going in the mortgage industry, help the situations we talked about earlier where these smaller lenders and smaller services can provide better service often, but they can't if they don't have any money. And so that's another thing they could do. I mean, people talk about tax cuts and things like that. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can be done fiscally, but I feel like they've thrown a lot of money at this already, and people are not ready to spend money right now. They've thrown the money at it, but it's not being spent because nothing's open. Right. For me, I mean, I I talk with Lawrence and talking about recovery. I mean, looking at the data and also looking at the 22,000 members we represent, you know, it looks to me like this is going to come back in chunks. 
It might have a V shape to it, but it's going to be kind of chunked in that regard, right? I mean, I have friends that own restaurants. They're working off a 10% margin. And they go, okay, I had 150 seats, and now they want me to go down to 40. Waiters, waitresses, busboys, dishwashers, food prep. You know, some of them are like, it's not worth my while to open this thing back up. I can't make money at 25% occupancy. So there's going to be some things that are challenging like that. And then there's other businesses that are ready to go back now. Our businesses operate in full tilt in mostly, you know, working from home. We have 230 plus people working from home. So I think it's going to come back in chunks. It's going to create some kind of momentum that way. I do believe there's a ton of pent-up demand. And I think once people get used to it, the people are ready to spend some money and, and invest and do some things and, you know, get out of their houses, you know what I mean, and, and get going. So from your perspective, as you look at it, how are you preparing your members for the bounce back? How do you actually think it's going to play itself out? Frankly, I think this industry it will be in the forefront because I think we're going to still have low interest rates. That's going to be part of the equation. I'm hopeful that credit restrictions that we're seeing, like the ones you described earlier, they'll go back more to normal and people will be itching to get on with their lives. And unlike, I mean, I feel for the restaurant folks mm-hmm. and the airlines and you know a lot of these businesses, even you know, hotels and conferences. Our conference was supposed to be in Phoenix next month, and we're going virtual. And we told them we'll try to be back there next spring, but you just can't put 150, 200 people together in a room. And you know that's a problem going forward. But I think as far as you know, people getting back to work in other jobs, retail, as long as people, you know, keep their distance and use the safety precautions, that'll come back. And I think real estate, all those things you talked about earlier, wearing the booties, maybe you wear a mask, you know, maybe you start Mm -hmm. with the virtual tour and you only go see houses that you, after the virtual tour, you're really interested in, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing that's kind of like a real estate social distancing, I think is the way to go about this and kind of restore some confidence for folks and get the ball rolling, because I think you're right. People are ready to do these things, ready to live life again. And part of living life again is, you know, getting a new home or upgrading and that kind of a thing. So I think that's going to be part of it. You bet. Well, this has been great stuff. One of the things we try to do on this show is when we have somebody, and we've had them all from sports stars. I had Apollo Ono two days ago, eight-time winning Olympic medalist. When I meet successful people, I like to ask them what makes them tick. And I have five kind of rapid fire question that I've asked every guest in the last 220 episodes. So you didn't know this was coming like they didn't. They're fun questions. It's going to give us a little insight because you're a very successful man. You do a fantastic service to the real estate industry and real estate consumers as a result of it. And we're going to ask you a few questions that are kind of these rapid fire fun questions. We ask everybody kind of get a little inside you. You're always talking about everybody else, but I want to talk about you for a few minutes and what makes you tick. So here's the first question. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever received, Ken? Always try your best and work hard, and you'll succeed. I started working with my stepfather when I was 11 years old on construction jobs. You know, he taught me this work ethic and about working hard, and so that is always, you don't have to be right all the time, but always try your best and work hard. That's great. So I was trained by my father and grandfather who are house painters, And uh, that sounds like construction work to me. And like I said, there's a lot of blessings to the blue-collar mindset, isn't there? Absolutely. So what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't, Ken? I wish I had perfect pitch musically. (laughs) I love music. I play guitar. I dabble with all kinds of other instruments. But 
I do not have perfect pitch. It would make things so much easier. Yes. Well, it's interesting. I would say 90% of the answers I've had, whether it be Lou Holtz or Emmett Smith or Magic Johnson or whoever else, they all say, I wish I could play or I wish I could sing. Everybody wants to perform on stage, apparently. So apparently all those air guitar systems people have been doing for years, at least you can play the guitar. So that's good. What book been most instrumental for you? What book has had a huge impact on your life? Oh, there's no other book but the Bible in that regard. And, you know, the wisdom in the Bible, that's it. I mean, I can think of lots of books I loved and were great, but that's the one that I go back to. Let me ask you this then. When I get the answer that's the Bible, I want to know what character in the Bible do you most identify with then? Oh, you know, I don't really know if I identify with anyone in particular. Maybe John the Baptist. Because I always feel like somebody's gunning for my head at some point. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, you're out banging the drum and eating the locusts and eating the honey and firing off at Congress to try to get them to do the right thing with Respas. That's good. Right, exactly. I'm a bit of a loud mouth, so I'm going to get in trouble someday. <laughs> yep. I actually have. I've got some great stories, but I live to see today. Let me ask you this. If you're scrolling through the TV channels and there's a movie on, it's the movie you watch over and over again, and every time it's on, you stop and take at least a peek at it. What's the one movie you've watched over and over again? It's called A Bridge Too Far. Oh, I love it. You know, a lot of great actors in it, great story, you know, real heroism, and, you know, it was one that I always say waves. In World War II, it was a battle we didn't win, and it was a surprising mm-hmm. story for me. I saw it as a kid and didn't understand that. I said, why didn't we win? Well, you know, you learn a big lesson there, but tremendous courage, tremendous teamwork, a great story, and a great movie. Nice. Well, we're big war movie buffs in our home, and A Bridge Too Far is on every Veterans Day in this home. So there you go. That's great. Last but not least, Ken, now, what's one thing still on your bucket list out there you're hoping to get done? I want to go fly fishing in Montana. Hmm. I've dabbled in fly fishing before. Obviously, I grew up in the Northeast and everything. I had a chance... A few years back, and circumstances got in the way of it, but I'm hoping to get to do that at some point. Well, don't be shocked when an email comes in from this particular podcast, because we have a lot of people all over the place, and I guarantee you we have people in the real estate space up in Montana who want to set up a tour for you to get you going, and take John the Baptist fly fishing in Montana sounds pretty cool to me. Yeah, I I would definitely enjoy that. (laughs) That's great. Well, Ken, listen, we appreciate all you do. We appreciate what you do behind the scenes. You know, one of the things about this pandemic is a lot of the folks behind the scenes are all of a sudden being seen, whether it be the guy that drives the truck and the person that runs the grocery stores to the doctors and the nurses and whatever else. And for a lot of people in the real estate business and a lot of consumers in real estate, they've benefited from the work of Respro without really being that consciously aware. So we appreciate your leadership of that great organization and everything your members are doing to make the home ownership process better, more efficient, and available to more people. And once we get past this pandemic, my hope and prayer is more and more people get a chance to own homes. The average homeowner has over 44 times the net worth of the average renter. And being a homeowner and owning a home, there's just nothing like it. And, you know, here we are in the middle of a pandemic, and the one thing that the government mandated is people need to go home. And so people all of a sudden realize how important a home actually is. So we appreciate you and all your organization does to make home ownership such an important part of our life. So thanks for being our guest today. Thanks, Brian. 
Well, that was neat. Uh, always great to bring somebody who's an influence in the marketplace to you guys. Ken Trapetta, he's a mover, he's a shaker, he's a character. He's John the Baptist who wants to go fly fishing and sing in perfect pitch. How great is that? I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you learned something, and I hope you understand that there's an awful lot goes on behind the scenes to make this all work with regards to this wonderful world of real estate. So continue to keep serving your customers, continue to be a blessing in the marketplace. And for all of you who are out there who are not in the real estate business, I hope you appreciate everything it takes to make that home come alive for you and give you the gift of home ownership. If ever you're in need of a great real estate profession, you reach out to me at The Brian Buffini Show and you need a great real estate professional, I'll find one for you. We have the best of the best. We have the Navy SEALs of real estate who also have great hearts to care and serve. So thanks for joining me today. I'll leave you with a little Irish blessing today as I always do. May the roads rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.